Thank you for joining us for the third episode of Nib on This, the Coco Terra podcast. My name is Erin and I will be your host today. If you are wondering what Coco Terra is, well, it is the brand behind the first ever fully automated tabletop chocolate maker. Visit CocoTerra.com, that's C-O-C-O-T-E-R-R-A.com to learn more about home chocolate making and be sure to check out our chocolate blog. You can also learn how to pre-order your own Coco Terra chocolate maker. Nib on This aims to bring our listeners the best and brightest from the world of cacao and chocolate. We will explore the many layers and deep-rooted origins of chocolate in hopes of bringing awareness and new perspectives to this global community. Today, we are honored to have with us Tanya Chichakova, the creative producer and director behind the documentary Chocolate Road. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Chocolate Road is your first long film and first documentary. How did it all come together for you to work on this very particular topic? It was uh, a lot of just different elements coming together. I've been a filmmaker for over 10 years at that point, back in 2017 when we started filming. Japanese producer Takoyuki Yasuda uh, found some of my work online. He'd reach out because he had this idea that he wanted to make a movie about chocolate and how it makes the world a better place, uh, which I loved <laughs> because, of course, I think that chocolate makes the world a better place. <laughs> what would, uh, would would the world with, without chocolate be worth living in? I don't think so. So <laughs> Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yes. So he, uh, yeah, so we started discussing what we could shoot and, um, you know, what we can make of it. So we kind of embarked on this very fast, without much uh, research, without much prep, nothing. He just, One week he just called me, okay, uh, I have this chocolatier. His name is Susumo Koyama. He's a genius. And we just have to go and follow him on his journey to Peru to discover cacao. And uh, are you free in two weeks? And it was a little bit crazy. But, of course, I said, yes, let's, let's go. So we just ended up in two weeks in Peru shooting in the jungle. <laughs> Susumo looking for cacao pots, basically. So it was the it was very crazy experience, but I think it does show the passion in the cacao industry overall because it's everything is just happens and you just go with it and it, everything all parts of it are so fascinating. We don't get to see the opportunity where chocolate comes from or the industrialization of it. They don't understand what it looks like, where it's grown, how it's cared for so much. And chocolate, like you said, chocolate brings the world together as well. If <laughs> I loved in the documentary when it's like, if you meet somebody who says they don't like chocolate, you must be suspicious of them. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> but I haven't met many people who don't like chocolate. So that's good. <laughs> right, exactly. So that just shows the importance of it. Yes. So you mentioned that you did very little research, but I am still interested in what kind of research you did as prep. I know that you said it was like two weeks and you left. Um, so, but did, but did you have an actual script or was it followed or were things changing as you were filming or what was the, the flow? Yeah, so that was the, at the beginning we had very little research because it just happened very fast. But after that first trip in Peru that we filmed the Sutsumo Kuyama, then we had to wait until it was the appropriate to harvest for the other locations that we were going for. So that gave us more months and more peace of mind for me to like actually get into the subject. So what I did was I basically bought every book that I could find 
on Amazon. <laughs> I had like over 10 books that, uh, you know, just researching different things about chocolate. Uh, one book in particular really caught my attention. It was Bread, Wine, Chocolate, The Slow Loss of uh, Foods We Love by Simran Sethi, which was pretty amazing book. And actually a lot of the ideas of people to add in the movie and to interview in the movie came from this book because she kind of very briefly, but covers a lot of, you know, why we're losing those tastes and, and, you know, how to actually find the real taste back and uh, where to go look for them and how people appreciate them, those new chocolate makers of today. Uh, so it was very interesting. So that was part of, a big part of the research. Of course, all the movies, all the articles I could find, I consumed very fast. Uh, but then, yeah, of course, we had this idea, as I said, that was, you know, chocolate makes the world a better place. But how was, you know, we had to make it into practical how. So our my approach was, in the beginning, was going to be just to cover all the chocolate making. You know, that was the, the initial fascination. But after we were in Peru, we saw that um, I got just amazed by all the hard work of the farmers. Like that was, and all the, the, the length of the process and all the different steps that you have to go through that I had zero idea. Because, of course, before that was a total amateur consumer of chocolate that just grabbed something and, you know. But then the length of the process, of course you have time. Because what? It can take... You can tell me this. Uh, I think why well, it can take up to five five years. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, um, to 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 have the bee from the from the bean to the tree. It's yeah, between like three to five years to grow a tree. So it's a very lengthy process. After that, you know, you can have in in the warmer countries, in the countries that the cacao grows naturally, you can harvest many many times a year. So like you can have nine harvests a year, which is pretty nice. But uh, it's still, it's very, you have to still take care of it constantly. You have to prune it constantly. You have to, you know, make sure that everything around it is okay. Uh, you know, you have to make sure that the water is flowing correctly to it. So it's, there's a lot of steps in that process. And even after that, like once you manage to go through all that and have the pot actually ready for harvest, then you have to harvest it and you have to make sure that it goes to ferment. Like after the harvest, you have to very fast go to the fermentation facility because basically after you cut it, it's already starting to harvest, to um, ferment, to ferment. So that process has to happen very fast and very in a controlled environment because you can use the favor, you can you can lose the quality of, you know, you can spoil it very, very easily if you leave it overnight. Or So you had mentioned um, Mr. Koyama. So he, mm -hmm. he was the main influence in this project. We know he's from he's from Japan. So how did you also choose to feature Mikhail Frisholm and uh, Maribel Liebman? Yeah, so Susumu came naturally because the producer Takayuki is also Japanese, so he had a connection already, and uh, you know, and we just loved what he's doing because he's a creative genius. So it was very interesting. But we wanted to have so we want for the other subjects we wanted to find. Uh, somebody that has similar values, but uh, different approach. So, so they can be more. They, they could give it more variation to the movie and more, you know, different points of view. So we've uh, after Koyama, we found uh, Mikio, who actually uh, Koyama uses cacao from Mikio, chocolate from Mikio, to make his bonbons. So there's a connection there. Okay. Uh, and uh, so we found Mikio, who is you know uh, makes chocolate from a totally different perspective. He makes it from the perspective of a chef. So he works with a lot more with like specific varieties of cacao and like, 
and creates flavors based on on that and like he knows a lot about the genetics of the cacao. His knowledge is a lot deeper in the scientific part. Maribel, also the third choc- uh, chocolate maker that we have, she also she has stores in Japan. She has stores in Kyoto and in Tokyo, and I think it's somewhere else in Japan. I forget. But uh, and she also she also has her own perspective. You know, being a woman in this industry also, and uh, being having the background of being from Honduras, so where where chocolate actually grows. So living with this tradition since since she was little. But also now living in the U.S., where you know she can create a, this brand out of it, and also add the artistic element into it. So it's uh, it's really amazing to see just the difference between all. Of them. Yeah, the 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 you really balance between the three perspectives. And for Maribel, I was so inspired. She was an entrepreneur from what <laughs> since she was a child when she said she would oh, yeah. sell the pulp, and she was so excited. She saved up money to buy her first pair of shoes. Right, then moved to York and went to Parsons and was a designer and then was a chef, correct? And then went into chocolate. So she has Mm -hmm. this whole design and different um, flavors and perspectives that she can bring in to sell, which is, you know, a a lot different from Mikael, who, like you said, will sell to others. And I noticed too, like to make like ganache, different things, but he really understands the different natural fla- flavor profiles. Yes, exactly. And he also, he's, he does chocolate bars, like that's his, his forte. So it's a lot more pure form of cacao, right? Uh, whereas, you know, the uh, Maribel and the Kuyama, they make bonbons. So it's, uh, they can add different, different flavors and different uh, yeah ingredients to it. That, But it's interesting because I think the three of them also, you know, they, they can take the same exact cacao and create three totally different products. And also because each of them also puts, you know, I mean, their sensitivity, their taste, everything, but also their cultures into what they make. So it's really amazing that influence and what, you know, the beginning can be at the end result. How was it to go to the uh, Salon de Chocolat as well in Paris? I mean, that seems that really, I think, demonstrates the the interest in the public right in chocolate and also promoting the awareness of not just going and grabbing a, a candy bar off of the shelf and the industrialization of it mm-hmm. yeah so chocolate is amazing i mean it's like a disneyland for chocolate lovers uh, <laughs> you know it's a, it's everything you can think of under one roof and uh it just like when you enter the building, it just smells like chocolate. So it's uh, everywhere around it. Also, it's uh, it's really amazing. You get this high <laughs> throughout the event. Uh, but I did. We filmed actually a lot more. We didn't really include that in the movie in the beginning. We we thought of uh, adding more, but we ended up like straying away from it because uh, it's because the farmers were not as involved. You know, mm-hmm. they they now have. They started the last years. They started uh, having awards for the actual cacao, mm-hmm. which I think it's amazing and it's very beneficial for the farmers because they get the recognition. But still, there you don't really see a lot of farmers there, their faces or anything, and that's something that fascinated me throughout the process. So I wanted to focus more on them. So you mentioned that you didn't have much chocolate knowledge before before starting to work on Chocolate Road, and uh, so what were some of the most surprising facts you learned about cacao and chocolate during your research? I mean, basically everything, because I started as a you know uh, the average amateur consumer, and <laughs> by the end I had spoken to all the scientists and different people that it totally blew my mind. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean. 
the complexity, I think, of the process was what surprised me more. Everything surprised me at every step because even just seeing the pot, it surprised me because I had never seen it before. I didn't know where it comes from when they cut it and you just taste it in the wild and you taste the pulp around it and it tastes like some kind of yogurt smoothie of mango and pineapple. I don't know. I can't even describe it because every, but it's like amazingly refreshing and you, I never knew that that existed before and that it comes that way and just so that was surprising by itself but uh also another thing that was very surprising was just how warm everybody was like whatever we go to those places you know farmers and you know farmers processors all the people involved in the chain but uh they the all the passion that goes into it from the chocolate makers that are so passionate about it but also the the you know all, everybody before that that just they they want they invite you they want to show you everything they want it's just so much, uh, you know, it, it piques your curiosity. And that's something that we wanted to also show in the movie is show the whole process without much judgment and, you know, make it as informative as, uh, as possible because, I mean, there was a lot more information. It was very difficult to get rid of information because everybody, you know, has so much information, so much passion to tell it. So it was uh, hard to cut stuff out. But, uh, you know, we tried to make it so you can watch it and then, by knowing you can create this appreciation. So having the information makes you cherish something more and appreciate the hard work that goes into it. So that was kind of, yeah, uh, my goal. In total, how many countries did you film in? And in the case of cacao production, which uh, cacao flavor surprised you the most? We filmed in nine countries, I think. We filmed in Peru, Nicaragua, Honduras, Costa Rica, Trinidad, France, Denmark, Japan, and, and the States. Wow. And, and yeah, so it was, it was a lot of travel. Yes. Uh, it, it was awesome. Uh, but, you know, discovering those countries and all the people that are in it and all, everything, all the chocolate from all these places. Uh, the flavors, I mean, the flavors are totally different between the different places also. Throughout the process of filming, one of our contributors, uh, Brigitte La Liberté from Bioversity International, she actually gave me a pack of uh, 200 samples of cacao made into chocolate from like all over the world uh, for the, the ones that are submitted to the uh, Salon de Chocolat to the awards, the, the International Cacao Awards. So that was like an amazing gift for me because then I could, I could try cacao from like made. So basically it's beans taken and processed the same way. And made into those, you know, high, highly concentrated, I don't know what the percentage is, but maybe 70 or 80% cacao uh, bars, like mini pieces. And you can taste cacao from, you know, Australia, from all, all the different parts of the world, Vietnam. And, and you can say, you can actually see how it tastes around the world. You can see the map of flavors really, uh, really exposed there because, uh, you see the earthy flavors from, you know, Ghana or, and then the, you know, fruity flavors from Australia. And it's, it was like, it really blows your mind. Yeah, I really appreciated it in the film when uh, you had the cacao, the diagram too, and it was kind of explaining spicy or fruity or earthy oh. or these are what the, the different um flavor profiles that that there were. I was not aware though too that you could take advantage of planting other trees like next to a mango tree to help with that. But in, in talking about that, what what flavor then when you had that sample pack, what surprised you the most? 
or what was your favorite or do you have a favorite even? I don't. It's like asking you which is your favorite movie. There's so many different things that you like based on, you know, your mood of the day or just, you know, it's, it's, you can appreciate the different flavors as they are. But uh, I mean, there were some that were tasting like honey, like it's wow. totally honey, honey chocolate. <laughs> so, and it, you know, some of the, it just, it, it depends on your mood of the day. Basically, you know, there's chocolate for every mood. I think. Yeah, there's chocolate for every mood and there's chocolate to change your mood. There's chocolate for everything, every occasion, yeah. right? That's the point. Um, as I mentioned, Chocolate Road is it's such an informative documentary. And I was so impressed by actually seeing, you know, the, the tree, the flower, how, how, how they flower on the entire trunk and what the flowers look like with mm-hmm. them having the five different petals, you know, and then the pods. And I understand, like you meant, we've been discussing, there are many varieties of pods, but could you explain more about the difference? It seemed that there are more varieties in South American um, cacao trees than in like African varieties. Mm-hmm. Well, cacao is thought to, it's, there's not, I feel that, like there's a little bit of a, Still disagreement of where exactly it comes from, like the exact country where it comes from, but the region is Central and South and Central America, right? So that's where you will find the most varieties because that's where it naturally grows. So there's so many wild varieties still, uh, and they they are now you know still finding varieties and trying to commercialize them. Uh, but it, there's a big difference between South uh, of South and Central America varieties and West African varieties. Mm-hmm. West African is mo- also West African is mostly that's where all the majority of cacao comes from from all the bars that you find in like a gas station or supermarket. Yeah, I think I saw that it was what ninety five percent versus five percent. Is that is that yes. sound correct? Yes, yes, and also Central America also produces this book cacao. Book cacao is both basically based on volume, so it's not a, so much about taste. It's mostly using clones. So clones from a, a variety that is made to be more resistant to all the diseases, to all the, you know, to the elements. Uh, so it's, it's, and usually what you're eating in the final chocolate product is mostly sugar and, you know, maybe up to 30% cacao. I don't know. I'm no specialist at all. <laughs> Even after, you know, watching all this, I'm not, there's people that, that know a lot about the geopolitical part of it also as well. But uh, for me, I think it's, it's it's good and it's bad for the for the farmers and for everybody for the consumer also that we, we I think we should have everything we should have those special varieties that chocolate makers can make these amazing pieces with but also it's good to have that book because that's where I mean everybody wants chocolate there's high demand for it so you can never satisfy that with the special varieties and also um, you know the farmer there's good parts of just being able to produce a lot also. Exactly. That leads to my to my next question. I know you say you're not a specialist, but uh, could you discuss further about the continuing work in the sustainability of cacao? But I'm also really interested in too about how climate change and then also various diseases and then industrialized chocolate making has presented challenges for, for the farmers and the cacao growers. Yes, I mean, every, I think, I feel like everything is a challenge <laughs> for the cacao growers because it's uh, it's hard, economically it's hard, it's hard to start a plantation because as, as we said, it takes a long time. 
So you, uh, your return on investment happens when the tree starts giving fruit. So that can be like in five years. So it's very difficult to, you know, start that. Uh, the sustainability, there are many practices that help with sustainability. Lately, you know, you can reuse like what we said, like using it for fertilizer, like the, the dead pots or something. So there's a lot of that going on. But climate change has been a killer <laughs> for for those crops uh, and for everything. You know, it relocates. It makes them, you know, uh, changing the temperature of the locations makes it that you have to start growing somewhere else. So maybe your plantation stop being productive, you know, and that can change your whole life, a livelihood or uproot families to a different place. Uh, you know, all the storms, the rains that are happening in the last years, that of course affects first because of the rain itself that can just submerge a whole plantation, which happened in one of the cases, one of the plantations we went to and we shot in Honduras, there were uh, a couple of years later, there was a big storm, there was a big tornado or, or rainstorms. I don't remember exactly what the cause was, but there was it was flooded, the whole plantation. So it doesn't exist anymore because those trees could not survive. Um, so, and although even if the, that rain leaves, then it become the diseases because rains and humidity, you know, changes and all of that leads to another transferring of diseases. So then your once one uh, tree is uh, infected, it's very easy to spread through the whole plantation. It's very easy that your whole crop is damaged and, you know, recovering those trees, if it's a, if it's a really bad disease, then, it may be the whole tree is lost and then you have to wait another five years, which is really crazy for those farmers. But you had, it also had mentioned too, not only like with certain diseases that can spread from tree to tree within the same location, but also from crossing as well, right? From mm -hmm. like, say, from going from Africa to Honduras, that can also continue to spread diseases. Is that correct? Yeah, because you can uh, a person is the fastest way to spread diseases. Is one person passes through a plantation that is disease that has diseases, and then uh, the, the, those spores go into your clothes. You go into the next plantation and you pass it on. Basically, it's very easy to to spread. That's why we we went to the CATIE, which is the Tropical Agricultural Research and Higher Education Center in Costa Rica, and they research that. They they have a whole basically university with an amazing campus and and uh, gardens, um, I mean, not gardens, plantations, that uh, they research all the different clones and how to actually stop that while also preserving the thing. So that's something new that, I mean, new, relatively new to the history of industrialized cacao that uh, they're actually carrying now, before the clones used to be just, you know, make it make it so it produces more and survives. Right. But the taste is their afterthought a little bit. And now it's focused on let's preserve this unique taste that we found at this variety but let's make it more resistant to all these diseases so we can actually preserve it. Yeah, and that and that really brings together the balance, right, of trying of bringing our modern technology and science but also finding a way to preserve and strengthen and honor the sacred cacao. Mm -hmm. And I think that that part was just absolutely incredible um and to make the clones, you know, more resistant and also bringing in the community as well. And mm -hmm. before before we close, I would I would really be interested to know um, what your future plans are, what you're working on, or a highlight of what was your favorite point of your whole cacao journey. I know it's called Cacao Road, but it was like a, your your own personal journey. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I loved, I loved, yeah, it was, it was a good five years of my life or four years of my life making this movie because it's a very long process. We had over 170 hours of footage and to cut it down to, you know, an hour and a half, it was very difficult, but uh, yeah, we, I don't know. I just meeting all the people was the most, the highlight for me because everybody was amazing. So friendly from all different parts of the world, you know, but we communicated and communicated so easily and they made me feel at home very fast. Uh, and so that was one of the best parts. And of course, eating all the great chocolate because at the end of it, although we didn't focus as much in, about it in the movie, but you know, I got to taste all the chocolate of uh, <laughs> Mikio and all the bonbons of Kuyama <laughs> and Maribel. So it was really amazing. I, I love it. Just, yeah, all the different tastes of those geniuses. What a great opportunity. Who knew when you started this journey that that's where, what would have come of it? 170 hours that you shot and you, and you had to make it into an hour and a half. Well, very well done. And uh, I really appreciated our time together. Any other Thank final you. comments that you'd like to make or share with everyone? Just I hope that uh, people watch Chocolate Road. And I mean, although I think we, I could have now if I make five years later, if I made it, I would do some things different, of course. Like every artist, you want to see it, you're seeing it and then you're like, oh, I should have done this better. But uh, I feel that I hope, my hope is that people just have this curiosity and like start to question where chocolate comes from, but where other foods come from also, or like other things that we take for granted because there's, People that actually, you know, work their whole lives to make this happen for you, to bring it to your table. And uh, yeah, it, you really should appreciate more what what goes into what you consume. Yes. And also what I really appreciated hearing was the, the effort to pass on to uh, the younger generations. Because you included that yeah, in the yeah. film as well, like new younger growers and making sure that things are understood and passed on and not lost as well. So that, yeah. that cycle continues and that connection is there. Knowing the roots, knowing the roots to, to move forward. Tanya, we are very grateful for your presence today. We hope you listeners enjoyed it as well. Be sure to follow us on social media. And if you have any comments or additional questions for Tanya, please leave them there. We'd love to hear from you. 